0: Jim Lane Ladies and gentlemen welcome this is our number 1 and I'm Tony Shivani along with the living legend Larry Smithgo and we are going to begin with action right from the as they say Larry get go we've got a return match from what happened at the clash of the champions VK Wall Street and Hacksaw
1: Jim Duggan welcome to where the big bo bull- Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, (laughs) as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantor. Dave, how you doing
2: this week? Tim, I am doing Good. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh yeah, I'm excited for another nitro. As we're it's we have kind of like that bigger gap now between the pay per views with Fall Brawl coming right, up. But right. like I said last week, I'm really looking forward to like what they end up setting up for Fall Brawl. Um, especially since with uh WCW versus NWO there's kind of an obvious matchup to, to set up right, there. So right. It, hopefully sooner rather than later they'll actually set that match up because that that's going to be a good one to kind of like hype up the fans for so um, hopefully we'll get to see or hear more about that tonight
1: well before we get into that I do want to remind you that you can follow us on twitter at 20 years of nitro you can check us out on facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro and of course you can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com Today is August 19th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Von Braun Civic Center in Huntsville, Alabama, in front of 5,850 fans, 3,760 of whom paid for a total gate of $44,344. This is the 49th episode of Monday Nitro, and we are leaving Hog Wild and Clash of the Champions in our rearview mirror and setting our sights beyond. War Games, the match beyond, that is. Nice. (laughs) As we are building up to Fall Brawl. Fall Brawl will be on September 15th, so we'll have four more Nitros, including tonight's, uh, to build up to that show.
2: Yeah, and the Von Braun Civic Center actually hosted Nitro earlier on in the year two. Uh, the March 25th Nitro was in the same arena. Ah, very nice. I so we like would have been
1: building up for Uncensored at that point?
2: Uh, or after Uncensored? That I might I just have been remember, right after, yeah. I remember looking it up and uh, and I made a note that that March 25th, Nitro was completely forgettable. Oh, there wasn't, so it there wasn't was... the
1: one where Jeep Swenson came out and almost died walking to the ring?
2: <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. No. No, there was, I, I just went back to look to see if it was like, I wonder if there's like same matchups happening, right. but there's nothing of note from that Nitro, <laughs> so we can just move on.
1: All right. Well, to start this week, Tony Schiavone welcomes us to another live edition of Monday Nitro. He quickly introduces Larry Zbysko, and I would say we head straight to the action, except the guy making his way to the ring is VK Wall Street, so action might be stretching it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> as there is no god or good in this world, we're starting off with a return match from Clash of the Champions, as Hacksaw Jim Duggan looks to avenge his shitty, stupid, lame loss to <laughs> VK Wall Street. Uh, you remember that, the loss where Duggan lost because he cheated so ineptly. Yes. Yes. Hacksaw is out to a pretty decent pop. He waves his flag in 2x4 and gets some pyro. Tony fills us in on the card. The Nasties are going to be in action. Harlem Heat will defend their titles against the American Males. The Giant is going to face Randy Macho Man Savage. And as was announced The Clash, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair will be taking on Sting and Lex Luger tonight.
2: Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was trying to figure out because it's like, This sounds like a whole lineup that happened like one of the very few first nitros or something like that. Yeah. Like every match down the line is exactly the same from, I mean, though. That's a
1: good point. Yeah. Most of these guys, uh, with the exception of uh, Chavo Guerrero, who we'll see later. Yeah. Pretty much everyone on tonight's show has been around since the beginning or very near to.
2: Yeah, and because there is reference to an earlier Nitro later on when we get to the tag yep, team title yep. match, and and I was just looking to see, yeah, it was just kind of reminding me that like a lot of these matchups are not very fresh matchups that we're getting tonight. So, uh,
1: oh well. Larry points out the obvious about Hacksaw blatantly trying to cheat and how it's not really fair that he gets a rematch, seeing as. He lost due to his own cheating. Yeah, like who's granting the shit? And Tony Giovanni can't even like give some babyface announcer reason. He's just like, ah, good point, and kind of just moves on. Right.
2: <laughs> well, po- I, except I mean, like BK Wall Street's probably like, oh, it's a return match, but I also get to show up on Nitro. So yeah, he's yeah, probably not I'm gonna- <laughs> I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> he's
1: probably not complaining. <laughs> uh, Tony moves on to pointing out that the referee is assigned to this match is Nick Patrick, uh, the center of much recent controversy. Hacksaw gets a USA chant going, and Patrick calls for the bell, even though Wall Street isn't yet in the ring. Uh, I called their match on Clash of the Champions, so being punished with the call this time is our very own Dave
2: Amatorb. Yes. Yes, indeed I am. Yeah, I made a <laughs> I made a note of that, too, where, where uh, Nick Patrick's like, ah, fuck it, just rings the bell right away. <laughs> Um. So yeah, they, they essentially start the match at ringside as Larry Zabisco blathers on about how referee Nick Patrick has been nothing more than a victim of circumstance, which I feels like really stretching it because there seems to be a lot of evidence that Nick Patrick has not been like up to snuff or however you phrase
1: it. it it's kind of funny because the things that are very blatantly obvious to us, like the time he chop blocked Lex in the knee at mm-hmm. Hog Wild, those things that act like. Oh, I don't know. And then these other things like at Clash of the Champions where he DQ'd because the Outsiders interfering in the triangle match. Yeah. They act like that's proof that he's crooked. And those are the times where you're like, actually, he did the right thing there. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's so weird that in times when the storyline's supposed to have ambiguity is actually when it looks like, no, he's definitely corrupt. And the times they're like, he's definitely corrupt. is so when you're like, no, there's actually a ton of ambiguity here.
2: Yeah. And it's up. Uh, Tony goes on about it like every time he brings up Nick Patrick, he brings up like his piece of evidence is the supposed fast count right. during Hog Wild, which you, there's still I I never saw it. Right, and he's the only person I know that references this fast count, or he could be talking about the the chop block, which is like. Far more of an obvious like misstep Absolutely. Than, than this fast count that doesn't actually happen. Or so.
1: pulling... They never talk about him pulling Hall out of the way of the Stinger Splash on Nitro either. Yeah. That was a much bigger deal. It was <laughs> right. much more obvious that, holy shit, this guy's definitely in the bag for the bad guys here. But instead, they focus on this like piddly stuff that really... Like that DQ last week. That was a good call. That was the call that any referee should make. Yeah. And they want to focus on that instead of talking about the big red flags that are actually in front of us.
2: Right. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's like you could kind of, as a fan, you can see where it's going as far as Nick Patrick being kind of like, you know, is he helping the NWO or isn't he? It's just that the things that aren't, like you said, the things that aren't blatant that that seem like he's playing by the rules, they're they just, they're focusing on the wrong things regardless, you know, we're going to hear a lot more of this stuff with Nick Patrick later on in the show, too. So we're back in the ring where Jim Duggan hits Wall Street with a pair of clotheslines, counters a haymaker from Vault VK, and hits an atomic drop, which sends his adversary over the top rope and back to the arena floor. While Duggan talks to Nick Patrick, undoubtedly, about the political ramifications regarding the nomination of Bob Dole (laughs) for President of the United (laughs) States at the Republican National (laughs) Convention only three days prior... VK sneaks in the <laughs> ring and hits Hacksaw behind with a knee.
1: You know, that does kind of tie into something that happens in the match where Shivani insists that people underestimate Duggan's intelligence. And uh, it's just a passing moment in this, but it reminded me of that time where he said that in an episode of Saturday Night and Bobby Heenan proceeded to laugh for the entire three-minute squash match that Duggan participated in. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs>, laughs, like, all the way until the commercial break, just uproariously <laughs> laughing.
2: <laughs> Uh, he then follows up by raking the eyes before sending Duggan to the mat for a rest hold. VK thwarts a short Duggan rally before applying a second reverse chin lock. While Hacksaw rallies from said chin lock, we get to the point that you mentioned. Tony Giovanni laying heavy the compliments, calling Jim Duggan both intelligent and a good wrestler, to which Zabisco asks Tony if he's ribbing him. <laughs> However, during this rally, Hacksaw is hoisted by his own petard as he misses a flying shoulder block to the corner. VK Wall Street follows up with an atomic leg drop for a two-count. We now get reverse chinlock number three applied as I am begging for the sweet release of death. Also, Tony Schiavone calls Nick Patrick a young man, despite the fact that he is only two years older than <laughs> WCW's most senior <laughs> of officials. Not only is he two years older, but they're like, they're, their birth dates are like two days apart. Oh, 10. really? He's like almost exactly two years older than the young man. Hmm. We get a second hacksaw rally, and a clothesline by Duggan drops both men to the mat. As they return to their feet, VK's forearm smashes to the back, have little effect on Hacksaw, who is now hacksawing up. Damn. Yep. After suplexing Wall Street, Hacksaw grabs tape from his trunks, only to have it taken away by Nick Patrick. Oh, no. How will he cheat now? <laughs> Nick Patrick immediately has this taken away by VK Wall Street, who has like this devious look on his face as he starts taping up his fist. Like <laughs> He's like, oh, I figured this out. Except that Duggan, now that the referee is not paying attention to him, has produced a second roll of tape from the tape. Oh, uh, his... <laughs> It does the same thing. See, you doubted his intelligence. but <laughs> Nick Patrick figures that this cancels out both uh, foreign objects, so he just allows the match to continue. And at that point, Hacksaw literally beats Wall Street to the punch, hitting him with a, the taped up fist and gets a pinfall victory. Uh now, this is just as good as you expect a VK Wall Street and Hacksaw Jim Duggan Masha B. Bad. Bad. <laughs> Fortunately, it's really short. And I, I appreciated the the twist of that's kind of a twist for Hacksaw Jim sure. Duggan is having the second pair of – the second roll of tape. Yeah, this match wasn't
1: good or exciting or memorable, but it wasn't ter- – like, it wasn't a disaster. I don't know why you ch- why they chose it to open the show, but, like, it wasn't and, – and, and the crowd does like Hacksaw. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no denying that. As much as I rip on Hacksaw, there's no denying the crowd is firmly behind him and is USA bullshit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I could see – I mean, I think we mentioned it before as far as, like, bringing Hacks out right away because, like, it does get the fans going. Yeah, that's true. I I just think from a TV viewing perspective that, like, when you see VK Wall Street versus Hacks out Jim Duggan starting off, yeah, then maybe you'll, like, I'll come back in, like, ten minutes.
1: Yeah, he definitely—VK is a very unexciting opponent in terms of credibility in WCW, but also just in terms of wrestling style. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a ton of chin locks with that guy. Yeah. Uh, So, and you need somebody— You know, uh, I know he's got other things going on, but you need more of a DDP type figure, I think, because then you get someone who's also probably equally reviled as Hacksaw is loved. And he's like, he's got a little bit more fun to his offense, stuff that I would actually want to, you know, watch. Mm -hmm. Larry is disgusted by the result of this match. What is he, Captain Kangaroo with the tape? (laughs) Yes. Captain Kangaroo is a children's entertainer with a live television show that lasted nearly 40 seasons and over 6,000 episodes but I have no clue what he has
2: to do with tape, and I refuse to find out. Oh, right. I mean, I remember Captain Kegaroo from when I was a kid, and immediately I was like, what does it have to do with Tape fists? <laughs> was he a Tape Fist fighter before he became, like, a children's? Like... <laughs> yes. Yes, he <laughs> that As was... far as I'm concerned, yes.
3: I thank you very much, Tony and Larry. We've got a great crowd. They're red hot tonight, and they love this victory here, Hacksaw. Oh! We've got some things we touched on a couple of weeks ago, and I want to go back to your thinking about this this new group that's arrived on the scene, the New World Order, and a man that we know very well. He now calls himself
4: Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Wait a minute, Gene. Everybody in the WCW has been coming down here screaming what they're going to do to Hulk Hogan. Well, not Jim Duggan. Because, Terry, I want to talk to you as a man. What have you done? Not only to your fans, not only to your friends, but your family. You turned your back on everything you believed in. Makes me wonder what kind of man that you are. I know one thing about him. Go, go ahead. Don't
3: what's let these... going on, Gene? What's going on? Well, you, you've got to stay focused. What's going on? You finished the thought.
4: What's, what's going on? Randy Savage. Oh,
5: ah. a up,
4: We're in the same wavelength, same frequency. Don't worry about it. I am got a problem with Hulk Hogan, and I'm going to get it done. Don't worry about it. We're done in this lifetime, the next lifetime, and the one after that.
3: All right, thank you. Hacksaw Jim Duggan apparently is going to leave the Macho Man Randy Savage later tonight, of course, is going to be locking up with the Giant, but Randy a couple of things we've gotta talk about. First of all, let's go back one week ago tonight in Casper, Wyoming. As you know, you were slated to go against, well, the United States champion, the your Boy, Ric Flair. I want you to take a look at what happened on Nitro. This was the most shocking thing. As a matter of fact, there were some very anxious moments for myself and nearly 8 or 10,000 people on hand at
4: Casper. Describe for us what's happening here. Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh. It's my wake-up call. Because from now on, I am going to make things happen. I am not laying back even a little bit. I'm going to let it flow all the way, and that's real bad news for you.
3: Okay, tonight's priority, very quickly, the Giant.
4: The Giant made a deal with the macho man, Randy Savage. He said if I stepped aside, that he would make everything okay. Well, let me tell you something Things are not okay. The WC World Heavyweight Championship belt has been spray painted NWO, and I've got 15,000 stitches in my head. So I got a problem with Hulk Hogan, but right now, tonight, I got a problem with the Giant, and I'm going to solve that problem. Oh, yeah. All right, the Macho Man, stay tuned. Nitro is live here on TNT,
3: and we've got more in a moment.
1: Mean Gene joins Hacksaw on the ring. Gene wants more of Duggan's thoughts on the NWO and Hogan for some reason. I don't know why. We've seen him cut, what, two promos on this already? Mm-hmm. But we're getting another one.
2: And I feel like Duggan made
1: his like position pretty clear already. Yeah, so. and it was a good promo. We talked at length about how good of a promo that was and how surprising it was coming from Hacksaw. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they're going back to that well. Surely there's other people on the roster they could ask about Hulk Hogan if that's really <laughs> all they want to do. Right. Uh, He starts off, to make it a little bit different, he's starting off with shoot names this week. Oh, yeah. Terry, I want to talk to you as a man, says Duggan. Hacksaw talks about Hulk turning his back on everything he believed in as the crowd starts to react to something off-screen. Gene tries and fails to keep Hacksaw from being distracted, and we cut to the aisle to see that it's Macho Man Randy Savage coming down to ringside that has the crowd in a tizzy. Somehow Duggan completely fails to notice this until Macho Man is already in the ring. Savage says that he has a problem with Hulk Hogan, but he's going to solve it and be done in this lifetime, the next life, and the one after that. (laughs) Hacksaw chooses to cede the rest of his promo time to Savage and just fucks off into the background, (laughs) although he does start a USA chant, even though he knows (laughs) another guy's trying to talk now.
2: (laughs) I like that he's in a fight Hogan now, and in heaven, (laughs) and in super heaven.
1: (laughs) I wish that uh, Hacksaw had been like, I would like to cede the rest of my time to the right honorable gentleman from, uh, oh, I forget where Macho Man's from, Clearwater, Florida? (laughs) Sure. All right. (laughs) Gene shows clips from last Monday when Hogan hit Randy in the head with a chair. Randy says it was a wake-up call, and from now on, he's going to make things happen and let it flow all the way. (laughs) Sure, okay. That'll solve it.
2: (laughs) By the way, I mean... Randy Savage supposedly just showed up, yeah. but they queued up that clip right away, too.
1: <laughs> Savage is mad at the giant for not taking care of Hogan at Hog Wild, and now the belt has been spray-painted, and Savage has, quote, 15,000 stitches in his head.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a lot.
1: Gene wraps it up, and we head off to the commercial. Tony Schiavone welcomes us back, and we see him for the first time. Unlike last week, Tony is dressed like a goddamn human being, <laughs> but Larry has a black button-up shirt with dollar bills printed all over it. So it's not a week goes by where one of these guys doesn't look like an idiot. <laughs> Tony moves on to talking about how the NWO have pissed off the Giant, and we see him make mincemeat of Benoit at Clash of the Champions. It's time to see how Benoit bounces back from that resounding defeat and his issues with women as he takes on the Earl of Eton, who comes to the ring without any of the other Blue Bloods. Tony reminds us that the Blue Bloods have been going through some problems as of late, Something that's been referred to on Nitro before, uh, and we've heard about a Steven Regal promo that he gave on Saturday night where he talked about himself uh, going for singles gold. He's, it's like this whole promo about how he's kind of done with the team stuff. He wants singles gold, mm-hmm. and while everyone else is worried about the NWO, they're not worried about the enemy within. <laughs> Benoit comes to the ring with Woman and Miss Elizabeth at his side. He looks a little uncertain and shoots a paranoid glance or two at Woman as he walks the aisle. Benoit gets mostly cheers from the crowd, with the notable exception of two big thumbs down from some granny they put on camera. Yeah. And I love wrestling <laughs> grannies. that They need to come back. <laughs> it's all like children and attractive people now. Bring back old people watching wrestling at ringside.
2: <laughs> you hear me, WWE? <laughs> they have money.
1: They can afford front yeah, row kick seats. Yeah, that Frank the Clown guy uh, to the curb and find some old person who or wants to go every week. Into a volcano. Yes, please. <laughs> Benoit gets in the ring and removes his vest himself, like a big boy, having learned his lesson from the clash.
2: <laughs> I can
1: do it! <laughs> <laughs> Let me, it's fine! <laughs> the two men lock up and jostle for position, but soon Benoit establishes control with punches and vicious kicks. He almost gets eaten in an abdominal stretch, but the Earl arm drags his way out quickly. Benoit sweeps a leg and goes for a pin, but Eaton is way too fresh and kicks out at one. Eaton now tries to sweep the leg and go for a pin, but Benoit also kicks out easily. Eaton rises to his feet, and Benoit grabs him by the tights and pulls him forward, forcing the earl between the ropes and out to the floor. Into the ring post goes Eaton at the hands of the Crippler. Benoit kicks him in the head a couple times, then hip-tosses him onto the mat. Benoit gets a hard chop in before heading back to the ring. Woman runs up to Eaton, who is on the floor on all fours, and kicks him in the belly. Benoit then goes and retrieves Eaton and brings him back into the ring. Eaton manages a punch to the body, but Benoit remains in control with more strikes and an elbow. He chokes Eaton with the bottom rope as Tony and Larry put over War Games as being an exceptionally dangerous type of match. Tony claims that since War Games was invented in 1986, there's been more injuries in that match than any other specific match type. Meanwhile, Eaton gets back into things a bit, hitting Benoit's head on the turnbuckle and choking him a bit. Benoit whips Robert into a corner and tries for a back body drop, but ends up on the receiving end of a swinging neckbreaker. Eaton heads to the top rope and comes down with a guillotine leg drop. Kinda, it's he knows (laughs) he's not gonna hit it, so he's too afraid. He doesn't want to land on his ass and fuck up his back, so he protects himself by sticking just one leg straight down.
2: Oh yeah, it looks terrible. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. Obviously, he misses it, but like, it doesn't. It yeah. Even if he would have hit that, it wouldn't have done anything because it just looks awful. Benoit
1: gets a clothesline and heads to the top for a flying headbutt, as Eaton very obviously reorients his entire body to take the move. Mm-hmm. The top drop headbutt connects, and that is all she wrote. Uh, I thought Benoit looked really good in this match, uh, as far as you, know, you can in four minutes, but I think he should have been a little more dominant. I was actually surprised at how much offense Eaton got, seeing as Eaton is a nobody... Uh, at this point, mm-hmm. and Benoit is, like, really kind of in need of a dominant win after that clash of the champions debacle where he was squashed by the Giant. Mm-hmm. So even though nothing was bad here, and it's not like he gave Eaton a ton of offense, I just thought you could have had this a two-minute squash instead of a four-minute semi, you know, 70-30 kind of split. Yeah. What did you think?
2: Oh, well, I I mean, it was, again, it was another match that w- that I felt was good because it was short. Um, yeah. Short and to the point. Um, yeah, I felt like uh, unlike other matches with uh, Eaton, he just yeah he just didn't look like he was like a hundred percent into the match itself. Especially since there there was a the part where he got clotheslined, and then it was almost like Eaton. It took a second for him to realize that they were going to the finish. And it's like uh. oh wait, I can't I can't get up now. I have to kind of like be disoriented and stuff. It was kind of just like. I don't know. It just felt like that he mailed it in with this one, but sure. No, it was. It's good for him for Benoit to get back into the ring and get a victory on TV right away. Absolutely. To to make it look so it doesn't look like he is just like this jobber from that Clash of the Champions debacle. Uh, we go to replays, and I just want to quickly
1: mention that holy shit! Benoit caught all of that flying headbutt. Yeah. Like he. He's entire neck and all of his head are like right on Eaton's shoulder and solar plexus and it looks painful as hell. Yeah. We get a commercial and our blood runs cold. And when we come back, it's time for more clips from The Clash. This time, it's the end of the triangle match for the tag team championships and the subsequent Nick Patrick interview with me and Gene. We then see the conclusion of the WCW World Heavyweight Championship match between Hogan and Flair, where Hogan was locked in the figure four and threw Randy Anderson into the corner. Tony still insists that Hogan gave up before he did so, but watching those replays, I still just don't see it. Yeah. That exists seemingly only in Tony's mind.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right.
3: I am joined by Sting and Lex Luger. As you know, tonight, a little bit later on, they're going to be facing from the four horsemen, Arn Anderson, and the nature boy, Rick Flair. Now, Sting and Lex, you both said that perhaps we'd have a surprise from the two of you tonight.
4: Unprecedented strategy here for world championship wrestling, Gene. We got a little surprise in store. How many? I mean, how many times still do you think we faced the Horsemen? Some kind of match between the two of us? Hundreds, maybe thousands. This time around, we're going about it at a totally different <laughs> wavelength because we've been at it in their face many, many times. But tonight, we've got a plan.
3: Wait a minute. Let's. Can we get back to the surprise? I don't want to
0: offend you, but you did say a surprise. Mean Gene, I am living life with a totally different attitude. Nature Boy and Arn Anderson, the total package, and the Stinger. Life at WCW has never been a cakewalk for any of us. And I still, through everything we've been through, I can't stand either one of you. And boy, oh boy, it's a total package, and the Stinger got a surprise for you. you
3: okay, gen- gentlemen, gentlemen, gen- gentlemen, apparently just going to walk out. I didn't find out what the surprise was. I'm certain we will a little bit later on here on Nitro. Right now, let's get you back to the ring.
1: Backstage, Mean Gene is standing with Luger and Sting. Lex promises that tonight, in their match against the Horsemen, he and Sting will employ an unprecedented strategy. Sting says he can't stand Flare Arn, and tonight, he and Lex have a surprise for them. Ooh. Back in the arena, a quarantine has been setting up as the building is suddenly the site of a massive outbreak of disco fever. <laughs>
2: took me a second to fall that <laughs> like quarantine i don't remember that part
1: disco makes his way to the ring and dances a bit including a bit of the macarena which is not very disco although he does like a few steps
2: of it and then kind of waves his hands like ah enough of that horse
1: <laughs> we want to see disco
2: <laughs> yeah he teased us with some macarena action
1: his opponent scott norton is out next so this is two matches in a row that are pretty much just heel on heel <laughs> uh, so right. and a uh, jim duggan is like nominally a baby face <laughs> right. i mean he does get baby face reactions but mm. uh yeah this is just too uh, they love this heel on heel stuff it in my opinion really drives down the crowd because they don't know who they're supposed to be cheering for uh but they for whatever reason they love doing it here to call all the heel on heel action of this one is <laughs> our own heel dave amator yes
2: <laughs> i was i was going to mention before um in case I don't know if we mentioned this uh, during any of our other episodes, but uh, uh, Tim is the one that actually he he does the picking out as far as like who does what match. Oh, sure, yeah. As far as the play by play is concerned, and this is like the kind of match that I know is not going to be good, but it has two of like my favorites from <laughs> yeah. from that time. So I was like really happy when I found out I got this match, even though it's it's th- this, <laughs> there's such a clash. Yes, and not only that, but like uh, at least Disco Inferno is not really interested in like. Oh, I, this is a, a like a different kind of adversary. I'll see if I can like compliment <laughs> him or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not what he's interested in. No, Disco
1: in. Inferno has, well, I was going to, you know what? I'm going to walk back what I was about to say. I was about to say that Disco Inferno only has Disco Inferno matches, uh, but he did have that great cruiserweight style match with Dean Malenko. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I don't, like, how is he going to conform his style to Scott Norton? Right. I mean, his job here is just going to be to sell and sell and sell. Mm-hmm. So he might as well do it comically Disco
2: style, you know? Right. <laughs> All right. So we. So Scott Norton attacks as a bell rings, but is quick to miss a corner splash. Disco then unloads with forearms to Norton's exposed back and turns around to celebrate before seeing what little effect his offense had. There's a great moment here as Disco uh, manages to duck a Dr. Norton clothesline, but then starts dancing, turns around, and just gets clotheslined anyway. Uh, Disco Inferno then stumbles around the ring before rolling to the ringside. And Scott Norton, I was trying to figure out how to describe this, but Scott Norton kind of does like that that flip over the top rope in order to get to the arena floor mm-hmm. instead of just going through the ropes. And it just like kind of stunned me that he was like, he, it looked really athletic. Yeah. And it was just like unnecessary athleticism. <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, so Scott Norton goes out to the ring, but he just like punches Disco and just throws him right back in. Yep. Um, he then shrugs off another Disco Inferno onslaught and levels him with a shoulder tackle. Disco begins to beg off, but Norton is having none of it, hitting him with an elbow drop that would make me retire on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> a feeble attempt at a comeback by Disco is met with a back elbow before Noren emasculates the Saturnite Fever fanatic by standing on him. This time, Scott Noren does hit the corner splash. After another rally by Disco amounts to nothing, Noren hits a shoulder breaker before slapping on what is called the Flashback, which is a single-arm DDT that goes immediately into a Fujiara armbar for the submission victory. Um, This went a lot quicker because um, 80% of this match is just, like, standing around. Right. And uh, so this actually was like four minutes long, but it takes like 30 seconds to describe the actual action. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's hard to describe it, but like Disco Inferno is, again, just hilarious during this whole match. He was
1: to a degree where I almost was like, man, if I was Scott Norton, I'd be kind of pissed because uh, it's meant to be a match where Norton can, you know, look great and tough and whatever. Mm -hmm. But Disco selling is at times like, It's it's Shawn Michaels ask where like the selling is like, look at my selling, look at my selling. Yeah. Not like I'm selling this guy's offense so that like he you know, he gets the heat put on him or whatever. Uh, So if I were Norton, but and this is mean, but I just don't know that I trust Norton to be like smart enough to realize that's what's happening. (laughs) He's probably (laughs) just like, yeah, I'm kicking
2: this guy's ass. I don't think I think Scott Norton doesn't really care. I think he's more he could he's kind of he seems to be the kind of guy that was just like show up do the job, head out, do the next job, you know.
1: I, well, he's such a bigger deal in Japan that I almost wonder if he looks at WCW as his second job. Yeah. And New Japan is, like, where he really cares about his reputation and his presentation and all That's that. That's,
2: like, where he gets the prestige and here's where he gets the paychecks. Right, <laughs> right. Um Yeah, I mean, speaking of Disco Inferno's selling, I did put on Twitter a picture of Disco Inferno, basically, on top of his head after he hit. That was from the shoulder block. By the mm-hmm. way, oh and you, right, right, and you, like, right. He like basically get does a headstand in reaction to that.
1: Yeah, either check out uh, Dave's Twitter at Dave Amontorp or mine at Twenty Years of Nitro because I retweeted uh, that yeah. him
2: him on his head there. Yeah, that was. Uh, it's very
1: much like the uh, speaking of Shawn Michaels, the one of Shawn on his head in that match with
2: Sid. That's that's why like when you said Shawn Michaels, it's like oh that's right. I posted <laughs> that picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: guys, uh, thank you very much. Also joining us, of course, is Teddy Long, Teddy. As we have seen right here, of course, this live action with Scott Norton, we know that we're living in a pretty
4: violent world here at World Championship Wrestling. Well, Gene, let me say one thing right now. You know, I want to thank everybody for the cards and letters wishing me a speedy recovery. Train, let me say this. You know the reason why I wasn't with you at Hog Wild. I was choke slammed by the Giant. And let me tell you something, I'm not a wrestler. That almost put me out. But one other thing, I was also at home recovering. I had a chance to see Hog Wild, and I saw the match between you and Scott Norton. Scott Norton, you didn't beat Ice Train at Hog Wild. The referee called the match and gave it up for you. So let me let me say something that referee was Nick Patrick Jean, and we're all here in WCW. We're a little bit confused about him.
3: We certainly are confused. You know, I want to go back to last Thursday night in Denver, mm-hmm. Colorado. And, folks, by the way, this is a replay, so do not call CompuServe. But, Ice Train, you were back at the CompuServe table,
0: a- and you were.
4: <laughs> big Coward comes out the back of the locker room, and he tags me on the online, talking to all my soul train friends out it. there, yeah. all my rock and roll trains, and then here come the big Coward out the locker room. Bam, gonna tag me. But, Norton. You can't attack me all the time with my back turned, brother. You got to come, hook up, and look into my eyes. And then when you look into my eyes, you're going to be face-to-face, brother, with the train. And I'm going to tell you, Norton, hey, I ain't always going to be running around here looking like a mommy, baby. All right, the young
3: man is Ice Train, and he's got a phone or two to pick with Big Scott Norton. It's nitro, it's explosive, and it's going to be right back.
1: Backstage, Gene Okerlund is joined by Ice Train and his manager, Teddy Long long thanks everyone for the well wishes they apparently sent after he was chokeslammed by the giant on nitro several weeks ago long points out that ice train didn't give up in his match against norton at hog wild the ref stopped the match and that ref was nick patrick who nobody in wcw is too sure about these days that was very smart of them to bring up i don't know that that was always their plan Mm -hmm. was to you know use the ref stoppage and then talk about how not only was a ref stoppage but can we trust this ref uh but whether that was a plan all along or it was just done in retrospect, I thought that was a nice way of kind of excusing
2: Ice Train's loss a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt like it should they should have played more up like, you know, Ice Train's tough and doesn't give up. Sure. Rather than like Ice Train was was screwed out of this match. Sure. Um, so, but no, I, I mean, the fact that they, they, they're able to integrate it to like a main storyline is good for Ice Train, so.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with what you're saying if you want to make Ice Train look great, but it really flows with the like this episode of Nitro is really the storyline of this episode is Nick Patrick. Yeah. That's the overarching theme that connects the entire thing, really. <laughs> Which, <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, I like that <laughs> I like that there is a thematic storyline that runs through the whole evening. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna be super nitpicky about it, I guess, if that makes any sense.
2: It's just it kind of shows the quality of the episode if you're like the main focus here is referee Dick Patrick. <laughs>
1: We then see replay of Norton attacking Train during his CompuServe chat that was going on during Crash (laughs) of the Champions. Gene tells us that this is a replay, so we shouldn't, quote, call CompuServe. (laughs) He's like, he wants to tell us the live chat's not going on right now, but he doesn't know, like, what these newfangled computers are. Don't call (laughs) CompuServe. Try to do their chat. During the replay, you can see that the laptop Ice Train was using was not even on.
2: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: not only was he... Like, you always know they're pretending to use a chat room, but it wasn't even, like, plugged in. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Ice Chain demonstrates why he never made it to the main event, as he incoherently says some garbage about rock and roll and trains and soul trains and being attacked by a big coward. <laughs> right. uh, our fans will have heard the audio clip, so uh, you guys can make out of it probably better than I could. I, I had no idea what he was talking about.
2: Yeah, I-, I just remember that it was very short, but it was super painful.
1: Yeah, uh, eventually I kind of get what he's talking about. So it starts off bad, but then he says that uh, Norton won't be able to always attack when his back is turned. Eventually he'll have to look Train in the eyes. Train then helpfully removes his sunglasses, but then stares at the ground the entire time he speaks. Yeah, He seems very nervous to be getting this promo time. He says that Norton will be face-to-face with the Train, and he won't always be bandaged up. Or as he says, quote, looking like a mommy. Yeah. He very clearly says mommy. He does. He really does. I love Ice Train. Uh, I really have enjoyed him in the ring. I didn't love his Hog Wild match, but in general I like him. And I think he shows a ton of charisma in the ring. Mm-hmm. But woof, this yes. promo was terrible. Yeah. If your idea is that his promo is terrible, so you're going to hook him up with Teddy Long to speak for him, then f- let Teddy Long speak for him. Mm-hmm. They're Like... They had. They went halfway there. They're like, okay, we got to get this guy a manager who can talk for him. <laughs> okay, but then let him talk anyway. Yeah. Like, th- come on, guys.
4: I mean, oh, the well, only
2: thing on. it did is it showed that he does need a mouthpiece. Yes,
1: <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, I'd be shocked if we hear Ice Train speak again for a very long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> We get a commercial and find out that uh, this week on WCW Saturday Night, they'll have Dave Taylor versus Lex Luger for the television title, Dean Malenko versus Ric Flair, uh, which is a good match that I would like to watch. And Tony plugs a replay of the Clash of the Champion as Lord Steven Regal makes his way to the ring to a hostile reception. His opponent is none other than the aforementioned Iceman, Dean Malenko. So it's more of that heel-on-heel, high-octane thrills.
2: (laughs) What the fans have been clamoring for.
1: Nobody to cheer for. (laughs) Tony and Larry talk about Regal's distancing himself a bit from the Blue Bloods lately and his declaration that he is looking for singles gold. These two start off the match with a lockup, and Dean quickly spins behind Regal before taking down the bigger man with a toe toehold. He joins Regal on the mat and does a float over to reverse chin lock briefly until Regal tries to arm drag him, but it's botched a bit as Malenko doesn't go over Regal's body. Instead, he just collides with him and then rolls over the top. Regal applies a wrist lock, then drops to his back and does sort of an arm drag where he pulls Malenko forward and then shows a boot in Malenko's gut that assists in Dean flipping over. Back on their feet, Malenko goes to the drop toe hold again and the two men grapple a bit as Larry makes sure you know how well he understands amateur wrestling.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple references to catch as catch can. Yeah.
1: We go to commercial with the two men uh, reversing wrist locks. Mm-hmm. So don't
2: change that channel, guys. These guys are going to be doing wrist locks <laughs> when you get back. <laughs> By the way, I just want to ref- I just want to make a mention of, like, I don't know what happened during that commercial. Yeah. But holy shit, when we get back, Lord Steven Regal is pouring. Pouring sweat. Sweat. Yeah. It is intense. <laughs> yes. We come back to Dean pushing
1: Regal into the ropes and Regal hanging on to avoid Malenko's attempt at no-Connell roll. Dean does an impressive handspring back to his feet for no reason other than wrestling <laughs> and then drops down to his stomach and Regal kind of flip rolls over him. It's like for a brief moment, these guys were like luchadors. Yeah, they, they very they they kind of started off with almost like a British style. And then they've got just this one weird lucha spot. And then it's back to like British strong style kind of stuff. Uh huh. <laughs> Regal comes off the ropes opposite and Malenko tries for a hip toss. But Regal blocks it and goes for one of his own, which is also blocked. Keep reversing each other with chain wrestling, mat wrestling, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Which I, I like that stuff. It's just boring to describe.
2: Oh, all. yeah. Or, yeah, just typing it out. You just. You just yeah.
1: <laughs> the highlight of the sequence is Regal cartwheeling to avoid a kick. Yeah. And Regal's a big dude at this point, so that's pretty impressive. Regal puts in a little rest hold as he is pouring with sweat, as oh. Dave mentioned before.
2: Yeah, is, oh, is this when he has, like, the reverse chin lock on? Yeah. Because there's, like, a stream that comes off his chin at one point. (laughs) (laughs) After
1: another brief exchange of reversals, Malenko gets a hip toss for two. Regal takes control with strikes and a European uppercut for a two of his own. He slaps on a head scissors for a bit and gets another breather, which gives Tony and Larry a chance to argue about whether or not Nick Patrick is crooked, with Larry taking the position of defending Patrick. Regal gets a clubbing forearm to the back and then a double knee lift in Malenko's face as Tony says, this is good wrestling. (laughs) Be like a commercial where Ronald McDonald takes a bite of a hamburger and says, this is good food. (laughs) (laughs) Dean tries to fight back, but Regal gets him in a full Nelson and Larry takes a break from blowing himself long enough to criticize Regal's positioning.
2: (laughs) He... He does like those little nitpicky things. Yeah,
1: Malenko sends Regal into the corner with an Irish whip, and as Regal stumbles out of the corner, the man of a thousand holds runs in and does a springboard dropkick to the back of Regal's head. He then hits an impressive release German suplex on the bigger man and follows up with another German, this time hanging on for the bridging pin, but it only gets a two-count from Nick Patrick. Regal then executes a butterfly suplex for a two-count, he wears out Malenko with a couple more pin attempts, and Larry says that all the sweat on these two guys makes it easier for them to wriggle out of pins. So they're sweating to the point where Larry Zabisco is talking about it now. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I did I did I did notice that he was that he said that. But it's like, and the thing is, I don't think Malenko is really sweating a lot. I think he's just getting a lot of sweat on <laughs> oh, him. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> because like yeah. a four minute match really does not make him break into a sweat very easily yeah um but regal is just like it's like he has a condition or something like that (laughs) dean rises to his feet but regal
1: sweeps out his leg from under him for another two regal floats over dean for a pin but only gets a two count malenko then gets an oklahoma roll on his lordship for the one two three this was a decent match but honestly when i looked and saw malenko lord steven regal match Mm -hmm. i was expecting a lot more Mm-hmm. Uh, and this match never really clicked into a higher gear and slowed down way too much in the back half. I don't know if it's because Regal got really tired and sweaty. Yeah, um, we're we're slowly getting to the point. Ever since the knee injury back in January that Regal suffered at Clash of the Champions, we're slowly sort of descending into his uh, personal demons, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that this would be a factor yet, but he is starting to gain weight, which I know is part of. What sort of you can chart where he's at with with his uh, addiction problems based on his weight? Um, so I d- I don't I hesitate to speculate. I mean he's very open with that stuff in his book. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't want to be like well it, you know pinpointing when it was in effect. But for whatever reason he he looked like out of shape and very sweaty and just not himself in this match. So even though it was good uh, it was a good short television match. Uh, it just didn't quite get to where I thought it could have gone. Yeah.
2: And that's that's the thing and I've been kind of thinking about this for a few like weeks now yeah or anytime we've seen Steve Regal, as far as just like his his propensity to sweat a lot yeah and I don't know if that's related to like it's later in the day if he's like sobering up or like coming down from something yeah because it to me it just seems like it's really like you kind of easily break out into sweating yeah when you're like recovering from any sort of drug use or alcohol use so I don't know if that's like a factor. Because like he, I know they're indoors and it's like it's really warm, but and it is Alabama yeah.
4: in
1: August, yeah. But so it's, it's probably hot as shit. But but he is noticeably more sweaty than the other wrestlers, right? There are guys to compare him to. Although I, some people are just sweaty, like I'm a sweaty motherfucker, uh. You know, I mean that mm-hmm. some people are just sweaty people.
2: I think maybe I'll. It's something that's like maybe I'll look into like uh, watching matches when he has recovered. Sure and seeing if he still is, like, kind of a sweaty kind of guy. But, no, I just thought it was just, that's just something that came in the back of my mind as far as, like, maybe that's a reason why he is prone to sweating so much is because he's, like, constantly in the cycle of, like, recovering late in the night and that sort of thing. But, uh, who knows? But, yeah, like you said, I expected a lot more from this match. Um, Even if it's a clash of styles, it seems like it would be a good clash of styles. Uh, but it it really was a kind of about that never got going right and then by the time because these are two guys that like four minutes is not enough to really get a match going for them. So
1: to me, this would have been better, uh, especially, you know, given this heel and heel stuff that I don't like. Mm-hmm. This would have been better with a Malenko two minute squash of hard work Bobby Walker and then a two minute Lord Steven Regal promo. So both guys could get themselves over, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I think it would be better served. The crowd would know what was going on a little bit more. And Regal wouldn't have to to lose on TV when he's supposed to be being groomed for a singles championship run. Right. Uh, That's just a questionable decision in and of itself. He just lost clean on TV to Dean Malenko, who
2: hasn't won in two months. (laughs) I just I just like I feel like this is not the first time you've mentioned like they should have brought in hard work Bobby Walker instead. Well, whenever I'm
1: thinking of a baby face who somebody can beat and who gives a shit, mm-hmm. it's Brad Armstrong, <laughs> hard work Bobby Walker. Yeah. Those are the guys who are, like, they're baby faces that you just beat. You beat them and beat them, and who cares, and it's fine.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the whole thing... To me comes back to the fact that I don't think they they want to make sure that everyone that's on Nitro yeah is a noteworthy person. Sure. Which it's kind of goes against like having squash matches. Sure. So it's like they their their strategy for Nitro is in conflict with itself.
1: Yes. Yeah, where's where's Joe Gomez? Where's um Jim Powers? Where's yeah. the Renegade? Any of those guys <laughs> could have lost to one of these <laughs> Just, guys. It would have been fine. Who
2: are any of those four guys that were in that four man? <laughs> Like buff team? (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Team sex, team hunk.
2: (laughs) That was like the highlight of their whole Disney time, I feel (laughs) like. Yes, I agree. Was like the whole video promo that led to like a tubid squash.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Malenko walks over to a camera and warns Rey Mysterio that he never forgets. But I guess somehow he's managed to forget that Mysterio has now defeated him something like 16 times in a row. (laughs) And maybe he should give it a rest.
2: I was also kind of expecting Regal to attack him from behind.
1: Oh, sure. But yeah, he definitely can, he just fucks off. Yeah. He's fine with it.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's some, like, that was kind of weird. Yeah. And when you we were mentioning before with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, because, yeah. like, he was on screen the whole time in the background. Yeah, yeah. it was very strange.
3: <laughs> All right, Tony, I thank you very much. The countdown is underway on this electrifying Monday Nitro. And man, is this crowd red hot tonight. Horsemen, Arn Anderson, Rick Flair, and others to join us. Coming up, a big one with Lex Luger and Sting as the countdown to our number two is underway.
5: Did I hear Sting and Luger come out here earlier and say they don't like us? Well, I never needed anybody to like me, Sting, as long as I had the four horsemen backing me up. I never had to have a weapon in my back pocket to feel tough. You see, the feelings that I have come from in here, it's called having guts. But I'll tell you a little bit about myself. You've rolled in that ring with the horseman for the last 10 years, and win, lose, or draw, when you rolled out, you knew you had been in one heck of a fight. Don't think, with all this outside turmoil happening, that tonight will be any exception.
3: All right, we're about 30 seconds away from our number two nature boy recap. GG!
4: Get a all the horsemen. Come here! Because we believe in wine, women and song. And tonight, Luger and Sting, the two pretty boys, the big bodies. Tonight, boys, you walk. Woo! ta But double A and an H of rock and roll. All right,
3: the horsemen, I'm talking about Ric Flair. Getting ready to do battle with Lex Luger and Sting here at Nitro. Hearing Miss off. are you ready for our
4: number two? It we are ready. if you are watching the show tonight, remember, pal, that between Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, and Hulk Hogan, the ninja boys got more playing time than you got
3: shower time. Thank you very much. I think I've got a Roman candle off my pant leg. Eric, let's get back to you. Please keep going.
1: Tony tosses it to Gene, who's in the aisle. As he talks, the horsemen come out behind him. Arn says that he heard that Sting and Luger say earlier that they don't like the horsemen. Arn says he doesn't need anybody to like him, and he has the horsemen backing him up. Arn says he never needed a weapon in his back pocket to feel tough, and as Arn has used weapons plenty of times in matches over the years, I guess it was just for the fun of it. The toughness must have just been an ancillary benefit. (laughs) Meanwhile, the dynamite countdown to hour two has begun. Arn says that Luger and Sting know that any time they get in the ring with the horsemen, they're in for a fight, and tonight won't be any exception. Flair, who has been bouncing around like a madman the entire time Arn was speaking, mm-hmm. like not just running, but just bouncing in place like yeah. a man who physically can't keep still for some powdery reason. Right, shall we say. <laughs> uh he finally gets his chance to speak with only about twenty seconds left until the hour or two pyro. Flair says that he's a horseman because they believe in wine, women, and song. <laughs> I guess he does sing a lot now that I'm I'm thinking about it. (laughs) I haven't heard Woman, Oh Woman, Will You Marry Me Now in a while, but he does sing it a lot. Yeah. Flair keeps yelling as the camera cuts to an arena shot so we can see the pyro go off. We cut back to the gang right as pyro goes off behind them from the entrance ramp, which scares the shit out of Arne Benoit and the ladies. Flair is completely nonplussed. He does not even notice. (laughs) Everyone ducks like they're being shot at except for him. (laughs) No, he's in flare mode. <laughs> Bischoff tries to take over, but Flair isn't done. He says that he's got more playing time than Hogan's got shower time. <laughs> Woo. Gene <laughs> closes out by saying that he's got a Roman candle up his pant leg, and I'm assuming he's either referencing the pyro going off right by them or saying that he has a big old boner because woman has been goosing him, like, the entire promo. <laughs> either way... <laughs>
2: You see, when the when there was that countdown, yeah. I was really expecting Flair to kind of put play that into his promo. No. But no. He's like, no, I'm going to talk over Pyro. Yeah,
1: the Pyro is just like something for him to overcome within right. his promo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Eric finally gets a chance to speak, and he hurriedly hypes the remaining matches and tosses to commercial. When we come back, it's to the dulcet tones of Brian Nobbs and Jerry Staggs as they sing their horrendous Nasty Boys theme. <laughs>
4: Time for a nasty sensation. Get ready for pity city. We're the nasty boys. We got a bad reputation. When you see the nasties coming, better change your direction. Everybody talks, but we know talk is cheap. If you mess with the boys, we'll rearrange your teeth. We're the boys. We're the boys. We're the nasty.
1: They're here to face public enemy in a battle of two teams of fat white dudes who come out to awful rap songs they made themselves.
5: <laughs>
1: I did a quick count, and this is around... I didn't I didn't do an exact count. Uh, I was just kind of scrolling quickly through uh, cagematch.net. And uh, this is around the seventh or eighth time that these teams have faced each other in a televised match. And keep in mind that Public Enemy has only been in WCW since January of this year, and it is right now only August. Yeah. So they are at about a once a month pace for televised matches. <laughs> uh, the most recent bout that we've seen, of course, was the uh, double dog collar match from Bash at the Beach. Mm-hmm. And what a delight that was. Actually, I kind of enjoyed parts of The part where they got up on the beach set was fun.
2: Yeah. I. For what it was, yeah. it was. It was more of like a sideshow than anything, and it executed that pretty well. As the Nasties
1: come to the ring, Bobby says that these two teams will be fighting for their lives. Eric says that WCW knows all about that, as they're dealing with a threat from the NWO and a lawsuit initiated by the WWF, whom he calls out by name, but he assures everyone watching that WCW is not going anywhere and not planning to change the way they do business. Public enemy sets up a table at ringside, and a few people in the crowd are waving their hands like they just don't care. But it's <laughs> frankly a pretty paltry number. It's like way less than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, here to call all the action is our own nasty boy, <laughs> Dave Amendtort. <Great>. Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, this is a uh, another match where you you don't you can't quite tell who's supposed to be like the oh, face. You're
1: right. This is who is. I mean, I guess public enemy are baby faces right now they've been both they just they're whatever like the situation calls for I guess
2: yeah so public enemy is kind of playing it up as faces even though I think crowd wise it would be much easier for them to be the heels because fans just for some reason like the nasty boys but the the match begins with all four men brawling and I'm sure that's how it will remain for the entire contest because for some reason when it comes to tag team matches when it's a nasty boys versus public enemy they just decide that you don't have to tag yes uh, Brian Hobbs and Johnny Grunt spill out of the ring while Rocco Rock and Jerry Saggs remain in the squared circle. We immediately get a, sp- a split screen view, which seems to confirm my suspicions. <laughs> um, and by the way, I think this is also Nick Patrick. So when the most senior of officials decides that they don't have to tag. Yeah, that's going to be allowed.
1: <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I don't. Like, this is never announced as a hardcore match, and it's not like it's full of weapons, but it is essentially a hardcore match.
2: Yeah. Eric Bischoff warns the viewers not to sit down with a notebook to transcribe this match, which is funny because that's basically what I did. (laughs) That's the second time he's used that line, and the
1: first time I remember I was writing notes for a match. Yeah. And I was like, what kind of idiot would, well, okay, Uh, yeah, I'm doing
2: it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Immediately, there's a stark contrast in action as Johnny Grunge gets whipped into the barricade by Brian Nobbs while Jerry Sags sells for a backbreaker and no follow-up. While Nobbs punches and kicks Grunge, Rocco Rock gains upper hand on Sags. In a goofy sequence, Rocco Rock gets Sags into a wrist lock, scales the ropes. He does that, that sequence where he drops the back of his knees on the top rope and catapults him back into the ring and then tries to just punch Sags. Like, he does all yeah, that, yeah. and there's not a move out of it. He just tries <laughs> to punch Sags, and then he misses. And then Sags clotheslines them both over the top rope. So he did all that for no reason, and it backfired anyway. Jeez. Uh, not surprisingly, Grunge and Nobs return to the ring as soon as this happens. So two go- guys go out, so the next two immediately go back into the ring. When we revert back to single-screen viewing, Nob slams, grunge face first into the mat followed by a pair of elbow drops we then get the first pin attempt in the match which is only a two count for brian nobs and just like that we're back to split screen as johnny grunge retaliates with a swinging neckbreaker sags and Rocco have been trading punches around the ring this whole time but now stumble upon the table public enemy set up at the onset of this match meanwhile johnny grunge pitches knobs out of the ring and attempts a cactus jack style elbow drop from the ring apron However, he just dis- he makes sure to telegraph it as much as possible, yes. and then misses as Knobs moves at the last second, and you get like a really kind of dull thud as he lands on the on the ground, and it's like that sound kind of painful. Mm-hmm. Public Enemy reunite outside the ring and throw Nobbs into the steel steps, then turn around into a double clothesline from Jerry Sags. Sags and Rock return to the ring, where both men completely blank on what to do with each other. Sags eventually settles for a shoulder tackle but then is tripped by Grunge when he comes off the ropes for a follow-up. Johnny Grunge returns to the ring, and Public Enemy execute the drive-by on Sags, but the nasty boy manages to roll out of the ring before any pin is attempted. Undeterred, Public Enemy then place Sags on the table, but when they go for the Public Enemy sandwich, Sags moves. That was something that I was super confused
1: on. So it's been a long time since I, maybe not, well... In real time, it probably hasn't been that long since we saw a public enemy match, but mm-hmm. for our listeners, it's probably been a while. The public enemy sandwich is you've got uh, an opponent on the table outside the ring. Yep. Johnny Grunge stands by the table, and then Rocco Rock, Rock uh, in the ring runs off the ropes and does like a somersault senton over the
2: top rope. If I'm right, he does a somersault senton right into Johnny Grunge,
1: and Johnny Grunge kind of like drives him through the
2: opponent laying on the
1: table. Yeah. But in this time, the opponent moved, so just public enemy put themselves through a table. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And really, any time they do the drive-by, if the match isn't over yet, right, it always backfires. Yes. <laughs> if it's after the match, they usually hit it, but if it's during the match, it's never going to work. So is the
1: public enemy sandwich just the drive-by, but outside the ring onto a table?
2: Well, the, the actual drive-by is when... Um, Rocco Rock gets onto like the second rope, uh-huh. and then he gets Johnny Grunge's hands. And, oh, and Johnny Grunge yes, flips yes, him yes. Over, so. yes. Okay, I know what you're they're, talking about. They're, I think they're similar in effect.
1: They both involve Rocco Rock doing a somersault senton. Yeah. As, okay, but I understand. Yeah, I see how that's different. Okay.
2: Yeah, and I just remember that uh, that the sandwich thing. Yeah. For one thing, gets a goofy name. for Yes. It. And for another thing, I remember that was like me- there was a pay per view where they said it. And we had to look up what they said because announcer. Something
1: with it was weird. And I can't remember. I was because you were texting earlier asking what the name of the move was. Yeah. And yeah, I couldn't remember exactly what it was either. But there was if anyone in our audience has a long memory, uh, why it was that we were like really confused by that name at, at another point.
2: Yeah. I feel like it was um, during that sequence of which um, at Slamboree, the Lethal Lottery. Yeah. That, that they drove uh Benoit through the table. Yeah, that's right. But we didn't do that pay per view. We just did the replay. Oh yeah. And so I couldn't find okay a note sure, of it. Sure. Either way. So long story short, they missed the public enemy uh sandwich. Um Sags throws R Rock- into the ring. We're an awaiting Brian Knobs drops an elbow and gets the one, two, three. Again, this is also meant... like most of these matches are almost exactly four minutes long.
1: Yeah, this was four twenty six. Yeah. Yep.
2: And I, I feel like I did an okay job doing the split screen stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I just feel like, was this a hardcore match or not? Because was-
1: I don't know. I do know Public Enemy looked stupid, as they always do. I like their whole thing is to come out, get people to wave their arms, do some like garbage wrestling you know hardcore stuff Mm -hmm. and like look foolish they always look foolish these guys apparently just have no i don't think they give a shit about like their reputation um to the fans like they probably care about their locker room reputation i guess Mm -hmm. although uh, who knows given their infamous very short wwe run uh they they may not have understood their perception in quite the right way but Mm -hmm.
2: yeah they look fucking stupid and you're, you're making the point about how the fans are not as enthusiastic about them. Yes. That's what happens when you lose 87 times in a row to the yes. Nasty Boys. Yes. Everyone knows they're going to lose to the Nasty Boys. Yep. So. That's what they do. That's that's their thing.
3: All right, Erica. Thank you very much. Uh, don't mind telling you that one kind of backfired on Public Enemy, but there's some other things, I guess. Brian Knobbs and Jerry Sags. You're making a statement in World Championship Wrestling, some of it having to do with the comfort level of the NWO. Hey,
4: NWO, backfiring, nothing. Everybody that enters Nastyville is leaving Nastyville like those two saps just did. Face down, baby. Nasty as we wanna be, and that's all we're gonna be. NWO, WCW, we're right here. We're just nasty as we need
3: to be when we wanna be. You know, Brian Knobbs, I want to confront you publicly on this television program. We've known for many years that you have been hanging and banging with Hulk Hogan, and I wonder with the, well, the revelations in recent weeks, if that is still the case.
4: Hey, like I told you before, shorty, what's a friend, always a friend, but he does what he wants to do, and the Nasty Boys do what they want to do, so Harlem Heat! Steiner Brothers, watch out, baby, because Nasty Sensation is coming your way. We want the WCW Tag Team Titles around the Nasty Boys' waist for a fourth time. All right,
3: uh, obviously these two guys hit the buffet pretty heavy, and you know what they want. They want to shot at the Tag Team Titles. Bobby Eric, back to you, gentlemen.
1: Gene Okerlund joins the Nasty Boys in the ring. They have got so much promo time lately. They're like Jim Duggan. All of a sudden, we cannot get enough Nasty Boy promos on our shows.
2: And they are testing us this week as <laughs> far as, like, the guys that are getting promos. Yes. Because it's them and Duggan.
1: Yeah. This, And we'll see it as we continue through Hour 2. This is a promo-heavy show. Yes. Uh, There are just a ton of promos on the show. All the matches are four to five minutes, and it's just promo, promo, promo. And some of them is, yeah – The Nasty Boys, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Ice Train. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just you're checking in with the most random people in the WCW universe for whatever reason.
2: And the thing is, like, these promos so far have been pretty much like there's not a real they're not talking about upcoming matches. at all. Yeah. It's like we're kind of feuding with someone. We don't have a match with them set up yet. But like, oh, and also we think Hogan's kind of a mean guy.
1: (laughs) It's like they want one week to kind of tread water on most things. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, to develop the pay-per-view, it's like, we're going to really develop this main event for the pay-per-view, and we'll see some developments as we talk throughout hour two. Yeah. But everything else just kind of, like, holds pat for a week. Right. Exactly. SAG says that anyone who enters Nastyville is leaving the ring just like Public Enemy did, and they will take on anyone, WCW, NWO, or otherwise. Gene asks Knobs about his history of, quote, hanging and banging with Hulk Hogan. <laughs>
2: He sure says that.
1: <laughs> I know that's a phrase, but it definitely sounds like you're just asking if he fucks Hulk Hogan. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's
2: exactly. <laughs> Nob says that Hogan is still his friend, but you know they've been they've been talking about you and him hanging and banging. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I know everyone wonders if uh, Hulk and Beefcake were hanging and banging, but I didn't know that about Nob's, too. <laughs> Nob says that Hogan is still his friend, but he's going to do what he wants to do, and the Nasties will do what they want to do. They want the WCW <laughs> tag team championships.
2: You think you would know that one <laughs> by now?
1: You think he would know which things are letters and which are just sounds that his mouth is making? <laughs> I agree. Gene closes by pointing out that these porkers spend a lot of their time at the buffet table and then sends it back to Eric and Bobby. But seriously, he's just yeah. like, Well, these two clearly spent a lot of time at the buffet table and they won a championship. See you later. Oh, right. It's
2: so he's just being a dick for no reason. Yeah, it's like, well, these guys sure are fatties. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's throw it back to the announcers. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, he doesn't say it like, oh, you know, they're beefing up because they're like they're big guys. Right. It's like these guys eat a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> it does it doesn't yeah. serve them at all.
1: Eric insists nobody in WCW is paranoid in relation to the NWO, and methinks the Bischoff doth protest too much. (laughs) could barely get that sentence out. (laughs) He and Bobby chat a bit as we go to commercial, and Dave, in This Month in WCW Magazine, you can find out if blood is really thicker than water when they profile the Steiners. Plus, you can learn secrets about the giant and get some collectible photos of
2: Boree and the Great American Bash. By the way, I thought it was it was kind of interesting that this week they seem to be emphasizing this paranoia thing. Yeah, they talk up that a lot, and I don't. But it doesn't come to play that much, other than
1: mm-hmm. everyone worrying about Nick Patrick. I wouldn't say that the characters this week
2: seem particularly paranoid. It's just something that's a running theme on commentary, especially since they they're not they stopped emphasizing this fourth man idea. Right. I, I haven't heard, I don't remember if we they really talked about it last week, but there's not this impending, like, there's going to be another guy betraying us, so I'm not sure where the paranoia comes from exactly.
1: Yeah. Eric welcomes us back and shows us replays of Diamond Dallas Page and Chavo Guerrero's confrontation at Clash of the Champions after Page attacked Chavo's uncle Eddie after Eddie had defeated him for the non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Ring. <laughs> DDP is back in possession of the physical ring, and I guess that's what this feud is going to be about. The non-championship that someone else won, but DDP has anyway. (laughs) Oh, Christ. Chavo and DDP are going to square off next, and DDP is out first to a mild pop, and Chavo comes out to, frankly, no reaction at all. Right.
2: Even he has Eddie's music, which should have at least tricked the fans. (laughs) (laughs) Things start off hot as Chavo dropkicks Paige in the rope and
1: then dropkicks him again out to the floor. Chavo launches himself with a huge pescado that almost sees him land directly on his head.
2: Pescado. Oh,
1: it's terrifying. Pescado. Pescado. Yeah. It's a Mexican word, that, or a Spanish word that <laughs> sounds like a nice uh, pasta for sure. Yes.
2: <laughs> no, but I know what you're talking about. It's pretty, it's rough. Yeah. I mean, his head does not
1: hit the ground, but it is close to being like the end of Chavo Guerrero. Right. Chavo rolls DDP back into the ring and takes him into the corner for some punches until Paige throws him down to the mat. Chavo charges right back for more punches, and Paige once again shoves him down. Chavo charges a third time, but this time DDP moves and Chavo hits the ring post shoulder first. DDP immediately slow things DDP immediately s- DDP immediately slows things down with kicks to the now injured Guerrero. DDP focuses on the shoulder with a thousand kicks. It's like the next minute is him kicking the shoulder. Yeah. Bischoff says that the card for fall brawl is being finalized, and everyone is politicking with the WCW executive committee to get a shot at the NWO. He hints that tonight we might get a better picture of what will happen at that pay-per-view. Ooh. Chavo gets a surprise roll-up for a two, but DDP regains control and chokes him with a boot in the corner until Nick Patrick backs him off. Page continues to work the arm until he goes for a back body drop that Chavo reverses into a sunset flip for a two-count. DDP wrenches the arm and then flips Chavo over his back like a judo throw. Then he nails a sit-out powerbomb that looks great, but he bails on the pin in order to punish Chavo a little more. Page gets a double hammerlock belly-to-belly suplex, and Bischoff calls for a DQ for no reason. Like, it could be a ref stoppage, but, like, just... Beating your opponent is not cause for a
2: disqualification. To me, it sounded like that he wanted him disqualified for, like, pulling him off the mat from the the pin attempt. Because he's being unsportsmanlike.
1: Sure. I I mean, that might be the pretext for that comment. I think the reason he wants to say that it should be a disqualification is really because he's trying to so... He's trying to cast aspersion on Nick Patrick. Like yeah oh why is he letting this go on this is a Travis. you know it's really more about patrick Mm -hmm. than it is about anything actually in the rule book or the match itself sure page sets up for the diamond cutter but chavo reverses it into a backslide for the upset shocking surprise victory out of nowhere page is angry and hits the cutter immediately after the bell ddp reaches up for and fumbles with nick patrick's crotch for a minute (laughs) <laughs> ah, he's taking Nick Patrick's belt. For a minute I was just like, "Whoa, this is <laughs> a odd turn." <laughs> Sadly, Patrick's pants do not fall down to his ankles to reveal giant white boxers with hearts on them. Yeah. That was I really as soon as a belt comes off, I want those pants l- pants hitting the ground.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just like any time a, a wallet opens, I want a moth to fly out of it. Yeah. It's come on, I'm conditioned to want certain things here, damn it. <laughs> Patrick does a lot of hand-waving and sort of tries to stop Paige, but that's not good enough for Bischoff, who says that Patrick isn't doing anything. Pee-wee Anderson agrees as he runs out from the back, seizes the belt from DDP, and admonishes Nick Patrick for not stopping the attack. Patrick says he did try, and honestly to me, it looked like he was trying. Yeah. He wasn't trying as hard, but DDP's much bigger and had a weapon on him. Right. Again, uh, this is just another one where they're like fully being like, look, that proves it. And I'm like, no, on this one, I'm on Nick Patrick's side again. He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Before we move on to the rest of the hijinks, uh, I do want to say that I thought that was a good short TV match. Uh, DDP is the king of these like four minute TV matches that are always good, Mm -hmm. always fun and watchable. Nothing memorable or amazing, but certainly like a, a fine way to spend some of your nitro.
2: And I feel like would be a good benefit if we see Chavo next week on Nitro. Yeah. If, like, I I could even see them doing a return match of sorts for this one. I might
1: be wrong, but I, I think they might have a match at Fall Brawl. I think it might be Chavo versus DDP.
2: Oh, okay. Well, then... Yeah, then that's a really good use of the, of the time. It's just when you do an upset victory like this, they, they should capitalize on it right. in order for it to mean anything. And honestly, I just can't remember exactly what happens. But like you said, if it goes on to kind of like a mini feud, then, then uh, I really like this match even more. Ogerland is there in the aisle to confront Nick Patrick, and let's hear what Nick Patrick
1: has to say for himself.
3: Nick Patrick, I'm going to call you on a carpet here right now. You had an opportunity to stop that thing before it even started, and you didn't do it.
6: Now, wait a second. If I was a police officer, and I come up on a scene, and I was by myself, and things were out of control, would that police officer charge in there by himself, or would he wait for backup?
3: Wait a minute. Here comes a guy, Randy Anderson, is a great referee. You're a senior official. This guy's half your size. He takes matters into his own, into his hands while you stand by idly.
6: That's what makes Randy Anderson and myself such a great refereeing team. It's teamwork. He's always there for me when I need him, and I'm always there for him when he needs me. I want to ask you something, Patrick.
3: Quite candidly, a lot of fingers have been pointed at you as of late. Do you have anything to say about those accusations?
6: Yeah, I have a lot to say about those accusations, Gene. I think... The main uh, cause of all my trouble is you.
5: Hey, listen, I'm not pointing a finger on you. India is
6: blowing everything up out of proportion. Don't you think? that if I would have done something wrong, it would have been captured on film. If i had been captured on film doing something wrong, I'd be fired right now, but I'm not. I'm right here. I haven't done anything wrong. Everything's being blown up by you, the media, the newspapers, the magazines. It's all been blown out of proportion. WCW is not sticking together anymore.
3: All right, I thank you very much. uh, Senior referee and official here at WCW, Nick Patrick, by the way, I couldn't help but notice that beautiful home you just purchased here in the last 10 days. I know what kind of dough you make, and that's very impressive. 550 grand. Eric, back to you, please.
1: Patrick claims that cops always wait for backup instead of charging into a situation on their own. Gene points out that Randy Anderson is much smaller than Nick Patrick, but he had no trouble handling the situation. A fair point. Patrick points out that this just shows what a great team he and Randy Anderson make. Nice. And I also agree that when someone else does a great thing and I'm nearby, we make a great team. Yes. <laughs> Gene asked Patrick to respond to the accusations recently, and Patrick blames Gene for blowing stuff out of proportion. Gene, the magazines, the newspapers, the media. Yes. I believe all receive blame here <laughs> from one Nick Patrick. <laughs> Patrick says if he'd done anything wrong on video, he'd be fired, but he has done things wrong on video, and he hasn't been fired, <laughs> so that's kind of bullshit.
2: <laughs> no, but he, he still kind of makes a point that he doesn't think he's done anything wrong. That's true. He's Yeah, and, and
1: I guess, yeah, he's he's saying, like, if I've done anything wrong, why is not WCW fired me? Like, right. they clearly haven't, so mm-hmm. I must be doing stuff okay. Gene ends the interview by complimenting Nick Patrick on the $550,000 home that he just bought Jesus. in spite of his income, which somehow Gene is, ke- like, aware of. I don't know why Gene knows how much Nick Patrick is making or how much his house was, but he kinda, it's, a, it's a, as subtle as the thing the other day where he's like, oh, all those Armani suits I've seen in your locker room sure look nice.
5: <laughs>
1: After a commercial, we're getting ready for Harlem Heat, and they are going to face the American Males for the Heat's Tag Team Championships. Bischoff shows us replays of September 18th of last year, when the Males won the belts from the Heat in a shocking upset on the third episode of Nitro, 46 Nitros ago. The American Males come out as Bobby tries and miserably fails to make some kind of metaphor involving phone service. Did you catch this at all? I was, no, I didn't catch uh, I didn't write down the exact quote, but he's like, the Heat have Sister Sherry, who's a great cheerleader, And whenever she calls, Harlem Heat, you remember this, the American Males, they can't, they don't get collect calls and she can disconnect them anytime. (laughs) It's just like... Bobby, yeah. what are you doing? This is the worst commentary outside of his like drunken stint that I've heard. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to him on this sentence, but he just he lost all track of what he was talking about.
2: I w- at that point, I was kind of focused on the on, on Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who's looking a bit more buff in appearance and ah, demeanor. I think so.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, buff's looking good. <laughs> the Heat are out with Parker and
1: Sherry. Bobby says that Parker and Sherry would look great on top of a wedding cake. And Eric just goes, Ugh, (laughs) in in revulsion at the thought. It's a pretty good moment for Bischoff on commentary. (laughs) You know, he's he's not good, but he's not bad. And by the standards of wrestling commentary, which is like pretty, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just that he doesn't have a lot of like great moments or things that make you laugh or say, like, wow, that was really good. But He's also not like I'm not constantly slapping my head with how bad Bischoff is. Right. Uh, but I did really enjoy his just just holding in the vomit reaction <laughs> to the idea of wedding toppers mm-hmm. of Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry. Uh anyway, here to call all of the tag team
2: action is our own American male Dave Amantorp. So um as Nick Patrick uh, holds the titles up showing that like apparently he's forgotten how to display the titles cuz he's holding them up like he doesn't know what they are. <laughs> um Harlo Somebody Pete, handed
1: me the, Are these somebody's? Yeah. Are these anyone's? Come I, down to the ring and collect your belts please. <laughs>
2: Um, as he's doing that, Harlem Heat attack their challengers before the bell rings. Now, before we get into this match, I just wanted to make a mention as far as uh, that replay that they showed earlier yeah. of the of the American Males with the upset victory. I just I really like the continuity that they added in there, and and yeah. at, having that as part of this story of uh is lightning going to strike twice? Right, is kind of what they're playing up of, um, and as you'll see a little bit later, they play it up even more. But uh, no, I lo- I, de- I like the idea. Of, it's like there's not a whole lot going on. It's more just having I mean, Harlem Mean in a tag tile match. Right. But since they're facing these guys they faced before, why not mention it? Yeah. Surprisingly, Nick Patrick restores order quickly as Bagwell and Booker T are sent to their respective team corners. CBRay Ray stomps away on Riggs before blatantly choking him. Booker T is tagged in. Riggs mounts a brief rally until a big boot drops him back to the mat. Booker T body slams Riggs, then comes off the ropes for an elbow drop. He misses, but immediately spin back to his feet and hits a Harlem sidekick before Riggs had any time to recover. It's a pretty good sequence of especially a guy that big moving that quickly. Right. Uh by the time to- like by the time Riggs even stands up, he's already spun and is ready to kick him in the face. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Stevie Ray is tagged back in and Harlem Heat double teams Scotty Riggs in their corner as Bagwell continues to get frustrated by his inability to help his partner. There's also a couple of times when Bagwell could help his partner, but then like goes back to his respective corner. That's he doesn't his timing's not very great when it comes to like trying to sneak into the ring. Yeah.
1: Uh, Eric mentions that Buff just finished filming an Andy Sedaris action movie. So I looked this up. I was kind of curious about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of the movie was Day of the Warrior, in which Buff plays the titular warrior. Hmm. Uh, Sedaris was best known for his series of films kind of under the umbrella known as Bullets, Bombs, and Babes, which was a series of B-movies that usually involved kind of a stable that he worked with of uh, former Playboy Playmates and Penthouse Pets. Sweet. Uh, before making these B-movies, he actually worked in sports broadcasting and was the inventor of the, uh, it's known as the Honey Shot, Where during a sports broadcast, they'll just show a pretty woman in the crowd, uh, like in the, you know, between pitches or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was apparently a thing he invented. Anyway, the description on IMDb of the warrior is the agency's computer database is compromised by a powerful criminal named the warrior. Now with a list of all the undercover agents identities in hand, he is going after them. One by one. Oh my. Now, if you're wondering what the agency is, I can tell you because I watched the first 10 minutes of The Warrior oh. on YouTube. The entire thing is on there. Just look for The Warrior 1996. Uh, the agency is known as Lethal or The Legion to Ensure Total Harmony and Law. <laughs> and I think what I love most about that is that the two is not get its own letter because Lethal Legion to Ensure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then... And does because they (laughs) didn't have a way to end it. (laughs) Nice. I didn't get much into the buff stuff where he's he's the warrior, the bad guy. However, he does appear to be playing a Native American character as far as I could see. (laughs) So I am looking forward to finishing that. Uh, I I started a Twitter thread where I was just putting screenshots of it Mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of commenting on it. And if I do ever get back to that movie, I'm going to try to keep putting screenshots and describing uh, what (laughs) the awfulness that I'm seeing. (laughs) It's it's pretty remarkable. Wow.
2: Meanwhile, back at the ring, <laughs> Booker T tags in Stevie, but Riggs finally gets Marcus in with a hot tag. Bagwell is a house of fire knocking Stevie Ray out of the ring. However, Booker T catches Bagwell with a spin kick to the gut. And, in a reference to that match eleven months ago, goes for the pump handle slam and is again reversed into a body press by Bagwell. Yep. This is the way that Bagwell won before, and I like the idea that, like, is he is he going to do it again? I
1: love that they threw that spot in here.
2: Yes. However, this time, Stevie Ray is able to break it up. Bagwell and Booker T brawl outside the ring as Scotty Riggs has recovered enough to nail Stevie Ray with a missile drop kick, seemingly from the rafters because he has so much height on this. Yeah. It's crazy. Bagwell climbs the corner, but Booker T pushes him off into the waiting arms of Stevie Ray, who power slams into the mat for the pinfall victory. Uh, so again, this match is approximately four minutes, um, and it's pr- it's a pretty straightforward traditional match where one guy gets dominated and the hot tag, and it's not very remarkable, except like, I, I love the reference to the to the match 11 months ago with the same move. Seemingly, he's gonna do it again, but n- this time Harlem Heat has a kind of scouted out; they're ready for it, and uh, yeah, I mean, considering that it's kind of like just a thrown-in match, just to make sure Harlem Heat is shown it as the tag team champions. Yeah, uh, I liked it, right? Yeah,
1: I thought this was fine. This was really continuing a trend here of short, good, un- yeah. un- unimportant matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree that th- this was more bad than, or more good than bad. Uh, so yeah no, no issues here we get another commercial and another reminder that our blood is going to run cold any day now any day tick tock
2: oh so cold
1: when we come back Arn anderson and rick flair make their entrance accompanied by liz and woman they're going to be taking on sting and lex luger as announced last week and those two men are out next to a man called sting when they get to the ring though sting takes a mic and calls out benoit and mongo Benoit and Mago do indeed make their way out to the ring alongside Deborah, and we go to a commercial. Hmm. As the plot thickens. Are you saying that because Deborah came out? <laughs> what? Oh, she's thick in a good way. <laughs> no. Okay. I did.
3: <laughs> All right, WCW Monday Nitro live on the air here, and I, I was back in the locker room area trying to pack some things away watching the remainder of the show. But this thing, Arn Anderson has gotten so far out of whack, I, I got to have some kind of an explanation. So do these folks here tonight. He's got something to say, let him say it. Sting,
0: you said you had a surprise. Is this it? This is it right here. We can do what we've always done year after year, and we can come out here and beat each other up. Or we can just recognize the fact that there is a major problem right here In WCW. I know, Nature Boy, and the Total Package knows we can't trust you as far as we can throw you. We will never be able to trust you. That is a fact, and we know that. But I also know that all of your blood and your blood and sweat and tears have all been shed. No matter where your wrestling career's ever taken you, they've all been shed right here at WCW. You are WCW, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. The total package is WCW. I am WCW. In 30 days, 30 days, War Games is gonna happen. War Games was created by the horsemen for the horsemen. We know that, but with all due respect to Chris Benoit and to Steve McMichaels, there's only four people in this ring right now that have ever felt War Games. That's you two, and that's us two. So we're not asking, we are demanding that we take those two slots in War Games. With you two. Look at that. Look at Flair. Is
5: that going
0: to happen? What is going through his mind?
5: You two with us two. Let me get a couple of things straight here. I don't like you and I don't like you. We don't have the same philosophy. Luger, you got a heck of a body. I mean, you're ripped. But do you know what War Games is all about? You see, you can't bring all these jiggling pecs and all these show muscles to War Games, that won't help you. But now if you bring all that power and dedication, that it took to mold that body to War Games. Well, that's a different story.
0: Whoa, 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 Can you
5: do
4: that, Luger? You know, Double A, we go way back, as we all know. Our history is your history. Now, you want to make a comment about jiggling pecs or the body, you reach deep down inside, and you really think about it, and you, Nature Boy too. have the stinger of myself in one match, including the War Games. Have you ever, when you really think deep down inside, ever left that ring saying we let up, we didn't give 100%? Ask yourself that question and you answer that in your own mind before you blow this whole thing
5: off.
0: Look at
4: this. I, I get where you're coming from.
5: Let me go to you for one night. Can you take that albatross out from around your neck that you've had your entire career? And you know what that is, Stinger? The little Stingers. Always caring what the kids thought. Always trying to do the right thing, because I'm going to tell you, to survive war games or to win war games, you can't do the right thing. You've got to get down in that gutter and you got to reach into a man's soul and do something so violent and so painful that he looks into your eyes and says i quit this is not about pinfalls it's i submit or surrender and i'm telling you and i'm telling you and i'm telling the world when i get in war games with the outsiders they're gonna have to kill me because the words i quit are never coming out of my mouth can you do that?
3: Wait a minute now, are, are you agreeing in principle to get together for That's this what it one sounds time like only? To me. Let me answer this.
0: I can't even believe that you can waste the breath to ask me a question like that after what we've been through. Like I said earlier, WCW has not been a cakewalk for you or you, but I have lived the life of WCW. Remember that. Ask the Nature Boy if you don't know.
3: All right, I thank you very much, Nate. We got to make it quick. I'm getting the rap here.
4: Let me see if I understand. You and the package want to team up with me and the Enforcer against the Outsiders? Let me explain something to you. I know who you are. Better than man alive. I know what you're about. If Mongo... And Benoit, because I know you want as bad at Hogan as I do, buddy. If Mongo and Benoit will step aside, I'll walk the path with the enforcer side by side. It goes like that. Yeah. All right, uh, but it goes to Mongo and Benoit because we're horsemen first, brother.
3: I'll tell you what, gentlemen, you're gonna have to discuss it. Vote vote on it. I don't know. What what is your thinking on this very quickly, Chris?
0: I've waited my whole life to become a horseman, my whole career, for this kind of opportunity. Rick and Arn, you've never betrayed me. I'll stand behind your decision. Wow, that is a big eye. I, I believe. Mongo, listen Gene, I was part of the best team to ever play in the NFL, and I know what it's like to sacrifice. And if these two head honchos of the four horsemen say, Steve, this is the way it's got to be. I'm willing to sacrifice. But let me tell you what, pretty boys, I'm going to be watching. And if you don't hold up, you're into the bargain. What the NWO's done to you is going to seem like a day at the park. I believe,
5: ladies and gentlemen, we have got a match here. This is incredible. I guess everyone agrees. Hey, NWO. We got a deal.
3: we have got a
5: deal
0: yes oh my goodness
3: more games coming up in september at fall brawl
0: and stay tuned for more exciting can you believe this live here on tnt we'll be back if the executive committee okays this one it will be monumental nwo versus wcw's best i can't wait wow
1: after a commercial gino is now in the ring uh, without a suit coat. He says that he was in the back packing his stuff up because it's close enough to the end of the show.
2: <laughs> so he just doesn't have a suit coat. It looks very weird. He's got would, suspenders and stuff. I wasn't paying attention 100%. But then yeah. I watch is was like, where does his coat go? <laughs> yeah, he actually says, like, I was packing. Because <laughs> he, he leaves before
1: the main event all yeah, the time. There's like a half hour left in the show at this point. <laughs> at least 20 minutes. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> He asks Sting what the big surprises that uh, Sting was alluding to earlier. Sting says that they could that these two teams could once again beat each other up as they always do, or they can recognize that there is a bigger threat to WCW. He says they'll never trust Flair and Arn, but he knows that the Horsemen bleed for WCW. Sting says that War Games is coming up, and that match is a specialty of the Horsemen. And with all due respect to Benoit and Mongo, only four men standing in the ring have ever experienced War Games, and that's he and Lex and Nate Arn. Sting demands that he and Lex get Benoit and Mongo spots in War Games against the NWO. Uh, And this is kind of weird because it's not like it was firmly established that the Horsemen were going to get a War Games match against the NWO. This whole thing acts like the Horsemen versus NWO is already set, And now Sting and Lex are like, those are our spots. And it's just, it's weird because that was never a match that had been described before. We knew certainly that there was going to be a War Games match Mm -hmm. because they've advertised that as just a part of fall brawl. Yeah. But this is like Sting and Lex are like, you guys have a match. We want those two spots. And it might be the confusion of that that is why the crowd does not react to this at all. Mm -hmm. And Sting also phrases it in a very awkward way that's not very clear. Uh, But that is what's happening. Arn says that he doesn't like Sting and Lex. Then he talks about how good Lex's body is, but expresses skepticism that Lex can prepare it for a match like War Games.
2: Yeah, see, this part's weird because he makes it sound like Luger's never been in War Games. Right. But I was like, without even looking, I'm sure he's been in a few War Games matches. He dude. was in last year's. Oh, <laughs> just the I'm, previous year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That was that was when they all had the face paint. Yeah. It yeah. was like Hulk
1: Hogan's little army Hulkamaniacs. Yeah. I'm sure Hulk insisted they were called the Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> Why did I have trouble remembering that? <laughs> Lex asks the horsemen to ask themselves if they've ever known Sting and Lex to let up or give less than 100% in a match. R moves on to Sting and wonders if Sting is putting aside his desire to be kid-friendly to do what is necessary to win war games. Again, like you said, Sting has won war games multiple
2: times <laughs> right also i just wanted to note we haven't mentioned it yet but like there's this expression on rick flair's face the yeah. whole time i have a hard time describing but it's just like it's like he realizes this is the the best way for it to go yeah but he doesn't want to like go through with like accepting it yeah he has just this look on his face where it's like this is not gonna be settled until we hear from flair <laughs> yes
1: Sting says that he is uh, willing to do what it takes, and he's insulted by the question. Gene goes to Flair, who says that he knows Sting and Lex, and that they want this as bad as he does. But he says that it, he wants them on the team, but he wants to check in with Benoit and Mongo, as he believes in Horsemen first. This is now starting to go long, and Gene keeps trying and failing to hurry everyone up. Mm-hmm. Like, starting with Flair, he'll introduce everybody by being like... Okay, Ric Flair, we only have 20 seconds. Okay, Mongo, and I need you to go quick. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone ignores him. Mm -hmm. Benoit says that he spent his whole career to become a horseman, and he trusts Flair and Arn, and he's willing to sit out if that's what they think is best. Mongo agrees, but he warns Sting and Lex that if they don't hold up their end of the bargain, that whatever the NWO does to them will seem like a day in the park. So I guess we've got a main event for Fall Brawl, It's going to be war games with Sting, Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, and Ric Flair taking on the NWO, who I guess are going to need to find a fourth man Mm -hmm. uh, and quick. They have not agreed to this match. They don't have enough people to fill out a war games team. Right. But I guess we're just assuming this is going to happen.
2: By the way, it's always worth noting anytime Mongo talks and is coherent. Yeah, that's true. This it, was decent Mongo. It, it was like five seconds. He got his point across. Yeah, he didn't put in any goofy ass like phrases or anything like that. Right. Um, and I also like the point where it's like, yeah, you can take the spot that in theory was ours, but you better not fuck it up because I'm gonna be there. Yeah. <laughs> we go to commercial, and the commercial break
1: includes one of the uh, following announcement paid for by the NWO. Yeah. And we have so many promos on the show that I'm not going to include an audio clip because uh, I'm not saying this was bad, but there's nothing particularly memorable or great about it.
2: It's just kind of like, remember, we're still around. Yeah,
1: Scott Hall and Kevin Nash uh, fuck around Denver. They hang around in this park that has like Roman columns and they pretend like they're in Italy for a couple seconds and then use that as a segue to talk about the movie Spartacus for a little bit. Mm Uh, they talk about uh the booty man and how everyone keeps kicking his ass, and then they wonder what ha- the the one good line is. Nash is like, "We keep kick- like we beat up the booty man, they beat up the booty man, and I just wonder whatever happened to the booty babe," <laughs> <laughs>
2: which is a good point. <laughs> yes,
1: uh, he also rips on the giant sting and Luger, uh, and that's about it. It was it was fine. It was it's not mm-hmm. like it was terrible. It's just you don't need to hear it, is all.
2: Yeah, and also in particular, Scott Hall looks fucking cool as hell. He does. <laughs> But, he always, like, anytime he's, like, kind of, like, the casual dress, when he's not doing, like, the, the whole jeans and jeans and jeans. Yeah. Like, after, once they got the NW going, like, he always looks awesome.
1: It's funny because I kind of always get the impression that, like, Kevin Nash is trying really hard to make it look like he's not trying. Whereas Scott Hall is just not trying. Like, Scott Hall yeah. is cool. And Kevin Nash, you can think that he's cool. But, like, if you look on it, especially with the long gaze of history, like, you're like, ah, that guy's not as cool as I thought he was. Yeah. Like, the whole smart-ass thing that seems cool when you're 16, you watch it now and you're just like, dude, shut up.
2: Like, what yeah. a dick. Like, <laughs> yeah, you for him it's just like, when's he going to grow up, you know? Yeah. Like, he, he also dresses like he just got out of the gym, too. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I never really realized that at the time, but now that I'm older and kind of look back, it's like, One of these guys is definitely cool without trying, and another guy is not cool, and he's trying really hard.
1: When we return, the Giant makes his way to the ring to face Randy Savage, but the Macho Man attacks him with a chair in the aisle. They fight down to ringside, where Randy Anderson takes the chair, and Giant seizes control, eventually press-slamming Savage over the top rope and into the ring. Oh, he's cool. (laughs) The Giant follows into the ring, and the bell rings, so we have a match. The Giant beats Savage and goes for the chokeslam, but Randy kicks Giant in the dick and escapes. (laughs) Jimmy Hart comes into the ring with a chair, but Savage dispenses him and takes the chair. He nails the Dungeon of Doom members, Hugh Morris and Big Bubba, who have showed up out of nowhere to try to interfere. Then he hits the Giant, Barbarian, and Meng before fleeing as the Dungeon of Doom swarm the ring in force. Randy Anderson seems to call off the match. That's at least the impression the announcers give us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was either a no contest or perhaps a DQ in for the giant. Penzer announces something that we can't hear uh, the crowd boo, whatever it is. Yeah. Um. But Bischoff claims that the bell never rang, which it did. So I have no idea what the official result of this one is going to be. Yeah. Not that it matters per se. No. Um. But like I said, at, at best it's a DQ win for the giant Bischoff and Bobby recap the craziness that we just saw Eric says that he just got word for the back that the executive committee has approved the big War Games match, and that's pretty much where we
2: end our show. Which, by the way, he says it's going to be, you know, Flair, Arn, Sting, and Lex Luger versus the NWO. Right. And and I kind of like the fact that they made it a little uh, ambiguous there. Right. And Which is saying, it's not saying it's going to be like a handicap match. Right. They're facing the NWO, and there's like leaving that possibility for the fourth man, which I imagine without like looking forward or anything like that, that's going to be the kind of the big thing for the next few weeks.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I would, I would agree with you a hundred percent. I thought this was a pretty good episode of nitro. It was not great and it was not bad, Uh, but it was better than average. It certainly, I think, I think having a lot of matches that were short, but not two minutes short, Mm. Like four to five minutes, maybe I would have liked to see a couple creep up to like seven or eight, Um, but it didn't feel like one of those where you're like, you know, one of those infamous ones where it's all talking. There was enough wrestling to feel like you saw a wrestling show, Mm -hmm. even though this one certainly was tilted in favor of the promo more than the in-ring action. Um, so it's not an episode that I'm gonna like look back on or remember fondly, but I
2: thought it was good. I this was a fine two hours of television. Yeah, and from like the the note taking aspect of watching this. Yeah, like there wasn't there wasn't any match that was like a grind, you know. Right. Like sometimes we've had like you know eight minutes of Greg Valentine, in which it takes like forever to get through it just because it's so painful. Right. VK Wall Street and Jim Duggan wasn't great. Right. Um, but other than that. No, none of the other matches were like offensive or bad or anything like that. Sure. Everything worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, I special again, I especially like the, that continuity that they added a little bit to the tag team title match. Um, I thought that was a nice touch to kind of like give an indication where it's like, Oh, it's, there could be an upset here again. Um, I, I don't get the point of the savage and giant thing. I don't, I don't know if that's going to be, like, a, a, a match at Fall Brawl or something. I am pretty
1: sure that it is. Okay.
2: I also think that
1: it may have been the victim of everything running long earlier. Oh, sure. I don't know that that's maybe how that was originally going to play out, but mm-hmm. they were like, fuck, like, we we promised this was going to happen, so let's run something out there. Yeah. Uh, so I doubt that was the original plan.
2: Um, I thought for the most part that the, the in-ring... Interaction between the Horseman and Sting Luger played very well. Like, it's a team up in which they they made a case for it, in which it's believable. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I yeah, like you said, for the most part, it's not a memorable show, but it was not something where I was like, just really hated parts of it. You know. Yeah. It, I think everything did. It's like served its purpose, basically.
1: Meanwhile, over on the other channel. It is the night after SummerSlam. Uh, So over on Raw, we got some video of Ahmed Johnson saying that he has to forfeit the IC title due to his kidney injury, which on the show is being portrayed as uh, something done at the hands of Farouk, Mm -hmm. but in real life is just some kidney problems that he's having. So then they announced an intercontinental title tournament, and in the quarterfinals of that tournament, Owen Hart defeated Davey Boy Smith. uh, In a squash, Vader defeated the wrestling plumber, Freddie Joe Floyd. Ooh gold Dust won a four-man battle royal over steve austin Savio vega and sid uh, so that's going to give him the world title match that ahmed johnson was supposed to get okay. on raw championship friday which is coming up on september 6th uh, it's a special raw basically it just has to be on friday uh, because the u.s open tennis tournament is going on so that's what usa will be airing
2: mm-hmm. man that's that's such a bizarre tandem for a battle royal. I want to <laughs> Golda, I wanna... Steve Austin, Safia Vega, and Sid. Yeah, yeah, that's I, insane. I kind of want to watch that now because it's like <laughs> I can't even picture that. Um, I, oh, I was also gonna mention that uh, that SummerSlam is the first ever pay per view I ordered. With oh, Summer, really? SummerSlam
1: '96. That's the uh, Vader Michaels one, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, in the main event of Raw, WWF. World champion Shawn Michaels, who had retained his belt the night before against Vader, Mm -hmm. defeated Yokozuna in a non-title match. So there you go. Uh, In our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.9, whereas Nitro did a 3.5 with a 3.4 first hour and a 3.5 second hour.
2: You know, I feel like that the the ratings, like the overall... Ratings are, like, a lot higher than they were at the beginning of the year. Yeah, wrestling in general is picking up a little bit of steam, especially on the WCW side right now. Because, I mean, I would have to go back and look, but I feel like at the beginning of the year is more like 1.9, 2.2 around that area. I don't think there were a lot of 1.
1: anything. There were a few, but, uh, yeah, in the twos was a lot more typical. Yeah. Well, that will bring us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Oh, the, sheep. the WWF is considering weekly Saturday night pay-per-views that will be broadcast live from New York City and have a risque, some would say, ECW-like feel to them. The plan is to charge $10 uh, each for one-hour show, and this could start as soon as October. Uh, this, of course, you will, if you're a wrestling fan listening to this, you will know that this did not happen, uh, but basically, this is the seed of the idea that will become WWF Shotgun Saturday Night. Mm-hmm. So it sort of mutates a few times, and it's going to be months before that show debuts. Uh, so they do have a form of this type show, uh, but they don't go the full raunchy pay-per-view route with it.
2: And re- to me, Shotgun Saturday Night is like a beast upon itself that would be fun. That would be a fun thing to like go back and watch those. Yeah, I
1: wish they'd put them on the network. I would definitely... I'd watch some of those the September 2nd Nitro so that's two weeks from today is expected to be promoted heavily as it is going to be billed as the one year anniversary show from Nitro especially because that week as I just mentioned due to the U.S. Open uh, they're going to be unopposed so it's their one year anniversary and they're running unopposed so WCW is gearing up to have that be a big memorable show. Announcing changes are expected in both companies as Vince did not announce Raw on one of the episodes that they taped uh, on this night in history. And WCW is expected to add Mike Tenay as a permanent third man in the booth along with Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan during Nitro's second hour. Supposedly, this will start next episode. So we'll see next episode if Tenet, uh is indeed in there or if Big Dave is blowing big smoke. <laughs> Meltzer points out in The Observer that SummerSlam had a boring undercard and a good main event, and says that was the opposite of Hog Wild, which had a very good undercard and a bad main event. And holy shit, get ready for the world to point out those these two companies have the inverse like that. Where WWF is the good main events and WCW is the strong undercard. Mm-hmm. Get ready to hear that about eight billion times over the next twenty two goddamn years. Oh. <laughs> that is like one of the oldest uh observation. I mean, this is probably the earliest example that I've found of someone saying that. Mm-hmm. I've just heard I've just read that on every wrestling discussion board podcast, Reddit post. Yeah. Like, yes, that is we know that those are how these companies yeah. operated.
2: We get it. No, I li- <laughs> At the time, I really liked the boiler room brawl between yeah. <laughs> the Undertaker and yeah. Mankind. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially, I think that, like, when I was younger, I didn't really catch on that, like, they obviously recorded a lot of it beforehand. Right. Um, I don't know. I'm feeling like that probably aged really poorly, but I remember at the time I was like, this is really cool because it's like a real brawl falls count anywhere with the Undertaker, and every, everything Undertaker at that point was just, like, gold to me.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we introduced Ultimo Dragon at Hog Wild, we mentioned that he had just lost in the finals of the J-Crown tournament to the great Sasuke. Well, Sasuke fractured his skull in that match and is pretty <laughs> fucked up. Oh, uh, you can find that match on New Japan World. I watched it. Sasuke wears a mask, so you can't really tell because he's just bleeding into his mask. Oh. And and it's uh, in that era where the matches on New Japan World finish like at the bell. like you The video doesn't go past that. There's, like, huge matches where you can't even get a sense of what the crowd reaction was because, like, the guy wins, and boom, video ends. You're like, god damn it. Uh, But anyway, yeah, Sasuke's pretty fucked up. He might be out for a while, so uh, that may play into uh, the J-Crown. That group of eight light heavyweight championships, uh, we we may have an opportunity to see them pretty soon. Speaking of Japan, Jushin Liger's brain tumor was both benign and small, so he has a very good prognosis. And could return to the ring as early as next month. That's
2: that's uh, quite good news. Yeah, <laughs> considering... I got a feeling that Jushin Thunder Liger is going to be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far
1: as brain tumor goes, that's about as good <laughs> as it gets.
2: I mean, to go from like you might die to like you could be in the ring next month—that's yeah. uh, that's a good prognosis. In
1: big news for the Monday Night Wars, WCW and WWF came to an agreement or a settlement might be a better way of phrasing it, on WWF's trademark infringement copyright complaint against WCW. So an upcoming hearing on a restraining order WWF had requested is now canceled. As part of the settlement, WCW has agreed that nobody in WCW will refer to Scott Hall as Razor Ramon or the bad guy, nor will anyone call Kevin Nash Diesel or Big Daddy Cool. WCW is also not allowed to state that Hall or Nash work for the WWF. Which, in fact, they've already done the opposite, so that's probably a pretty easy agreement for them to make. Uh, but this largely, as we've talked about, is sort of uh, directed a lot more at like things said on their hotline than things that are said on Nitro. Oh, sure. This agreement only means that WWF is no longer seeking a restraining order and that both sides agree to how these characters are, will be handled in the future. But WWF is still seeking damages from the court for what they allege to be violations of the trademark that occurred in the lead-up to Bash at the Beach. So this is an agreement going forward, uh, but there's still that lawsuit about what WWF believes uh, that they need to be paid for for the past. (laughs) Uh, As a result of all that, Sean Waltman, a.k.a. the 123 Kid, is still being used as a pawn in this fight. He's been off WWF television for months after showing up, uh, let's say, in no condition to perform. Mm. Uh, So he's been off TV since then, but he's still under contract He asked Vince for his release, and Vince said that he would give it uh, about six months before the contract was actually due to be up. But there are disagreements now over what aspects of Waltman's on-screen persona are the intellectual property of WWF. So until that fight is resolved, we will not be seeing uh, young Sean Waltman appear on Nitro anytime soon. Uh, But I'm sure they are trying very hard. I'm sure that the plan is to have him be the fourth man at the pay-per-view we'll see i don't know that for a fact i'm just based on what i'm reading at the time you would certainly think that that would make the most sense mm-hmm. and we'll see how that all resolves so there's only one thing left to do dave and that is here your match the night and your mvp uh i'll start off with my match the night you know honestly the best match was probably malenko and regal But since I'm grading them on what I think that those two should have accomplished, Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to bump them down
2: a bit, and I'm going to give my match of the night to Chavo Guerrero and Diamond Dallas Page. Okay. And I'm going to go in a different direction as well besides the Malenko and Regal match, and I will give it to the tag team title match, especially since I like the the story going into it. Sure. I liked how they played it up towards the end, and – I thought that for the most part that everyone was able to kind of showcase their abilities. Uh, Stevie Ray didn't fuck anything up, so that's always a plus. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it to the Tag Team Telematch this, this week. All right. Well, Dave, who was your MVP of tonight's Nitro? Oh, boy.
1: I... Now I <laughs> <laughs> put you on the spot, huh? Yeah. You didn't know that this thing that happens at the end of every episode would happen at the end of this episode. <laughs>
4: right?
1: <laughs> All right. Well, you think I'm going to give you my MVP. I wanted to go second because I thought mine was It's a little bit of a surprise, Mm -hmm. a little bit of an unconventional pick. Uh, But my MVP of this particular Nitro was the man who was all over the show, Mean Gene Okerlund.
4: Oh, that dude worked
1: his ass off. He was in the back interviewing Ice Train. He was in the ring interviewing, uh, you know, basically the main event, kind of figuring out the stuff with Lex, Mm -hmm. staying in the the horsemen. Uh, He was in the aisle like berating nick patrick he was just he was up and down all over the show uh me and gene worked his ass off so i'm giving my mvp
2: to you, that lovable, lovable lovable um well in that case i'll give my yeah i'll give my mvp to scott hall because he looked really cool <laughs> fair enough <laughs> <laughs> It just to me no one really stuck out on the show as like having a standout performance. I think I thought everyone did like a good job. Yeah. Uh, considering the standards, I felt like that Malenko and Regal probably played a little lower than I expected. Sure. Um, but other than that, no one, I just really didn't feel like anyone stuck out as like, oh, that was like an exceptional performance or promo or yeah. anything like that. Again, like we've said, there's there's nothing. There was no glaring. Errors or anything that's like really bad. Besides, like Ice Train clearly is not ready to do promos yet. I, mean, I don't know. Because the thing is, like, don't you assume that that was like pre-recorded? Yeah,
1: that's. I agree because that that one was backstage. So if that's the best one they had,
2: yeah. Woof.
1: Yeah.
5: Yikes.
2: Um. Yeah. So you know, there's a there's a couple that weren't a couple of things that weren't great, but you know, for the most part, everything was fine
1: i agree everything was fine what a fine show what a fine group of gentlemen (laughs) again i don't want to say this was a bad show i just hope we get like a little more action a little more intrigue uh you know i want to turn the volume up a little bit as we head into a big pay-per-view with uh, a huge main event that now we've got set and now we can really start building towards uh so we'll see that what we start doing as far as i remember we don't have anything announced for next week uh, so no, no. it's yeah, it's gonna be we're we're in the dark. It's gonna be interesting to see, and uh, basically, it kind of is. You can one way to look at it is it's a one week for them to build to that big anniversary uh, show. Oh on sure. September second.
2: And because you, you know that Bischoff really likes to do like big nitros, so I would imagine next week they'll they'll have something that sets up for the following week. Right. Maybe even a tile match. I I don't remember exactly what they do, but they could. Do something where it's like, you know, they probably should have saved that for the pay-per-view, but they won't. Um but also, like you said, they have the this big main event for Paul Brawl announced. I guarantee they're not going to announce a fourth member next week. Right. They're gonna play that up until the pay-per-view. I would think so. But I would I would hope that at least next week they'll be presenting that, planting that seed as far as like the NWO needs a fourth member or if the NWO is going to be like, we don't need a fourth member. Um, There's a lot of ways they can play that out to make it a really interesting uh, pay-per-view to look forward to. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to how they're going to start hyping it up now that that match is official.
1: All right. Well, we will see for ourselves when we reconvene right here with you where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro.
4: Well, they could be, but I doubt it. You know, like you said, the American Males, they hold a victory over Harlem Heat. They won the titles from them. These two cheerleaders, American Males, they sound like postal employees. But the Harlem Heat, they got their own cheerleaders. They got Sister Sherry and the Colonel. And when the Sister Sherry gets on that phone, Harlem Heat, remember this. The American Males can make all the calls they want. There are no collect calls, no busy signals. They will disconnect your service, believe me.